Amen. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Will Stacy. Um, I've only I've been here almost a year now, so I hope you know. Oh. Um, but uh, I'm the Next Generation Pastor, and I just want to give a shout out to Youth Retreat. If you have a student between 7th and 12th grade, they need to go. It's going to be really fun. Um, it's going to be a good week in discipleship. Uh, today we're going to talk about prayer, um, and I think it's only appropriate in a sermon where I'm going to talk about prayer that we would start off by praying. Um, there are a lot of sick people here, uh, or in our community. My wife uh, and my baby have both been sick this week. Uh, Charlotte was running 102 degree fever on Wednesday, and uh, we got her to the doctor and got it down, and she's doing good now. She's out in the nursery, but now Lauren's down and sick, and uh, she woke up last night with a bad fever. And so I'm sure everyone in here knows someone who's dealing with sickness right now, and so let's keep that person in mind. Um, and there's a lot of things we could be praying for in the world. Um, but I'm just going to pray to start us off this morning. You bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you that you are the great healer, Father, that you... Uh, hold the world in your hands, God, that you uh, are sovereign over sickness and disease. God, you're sovereign over pain and suffering. And Father, we would ask this morning that if there's anyone that we know, God, anyone we love, anyone we care about that is dealing with sickness or disease, Father, that you would keep them safe through it and bring them through on the other side. Father, that in this time that we would, uh, would lean into you and know that you are sovereign. God, we pray for this morning. Um, Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word and remind us of the truths that you have in scripture. Father, and that we can walk out of here knowing something new. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be uh, in Acts like we've been recently. Um, so if you want to get your Bibles open and get ready, we're going to be uh, starting in Philippians. <laughs> So, um, I will build my church, Jesus. I love this, uh, this quote because it takes a lot of the stress off of me, knowing that Jesus is going to build his church, knowing that he's going to work in my life uh, to accomplish his goal, and that it's not all on my back, whether or not it's successful. Now, yes, I need to try my best, and I need to work toward that goal of ultimately building his church for his glory, but I love this because it gives us some peace, knowing that God is going to work these things together. So if we'll turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has begun a work here in our church. It started 2,000 years ago uh, in, in the book of Acts as we've been reading. And God started his church. And it was here that he said, you know what, I'm going to bring together my people and my bride. And we're going to build something that will ultimately one day come to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Not only does it bring me a lot of peace that he's going to build his church, it brings me a lot of joy. It gives me this, this feeling that Jesus is working this out through us, and we get to be a part of it, and we get to go hand in hand with him. So as we, as we talk about prayer today, I want us to keep that in mind. I want us to keep in mind the idea that God is going to bring this all to completion. He has begun a good work 2,000 years ago, and he's still doing it today. Now we can get to Acts. We're going to start, uh, as we started many of our sermons, in Acts 2.42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. 
It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Um, Last week, Brother Daryl started with this same verse, and I want to point out the same thing he pointed out, that they devoted themselves. And it lists a couple of things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. And then it says to prayers. Devotion gives, doesn't give a sense of it's a one-time thing or I pray just at meals or we gather and we pray once every quarter uh, at prayer and worship night. Um, devotion doesn't give a sense of I only pray right before I go to bed. Devotion to me means that it is a continuous thing. They devoted themselves to the constant prayer and asking God to be a part of what they were doing in the church. Because God is building his church, right? We're not building God's church. God is building his church. So with that being in mind, we need to pray and ask what he would have us do. Now, the, the, we, we make plans and, and we create budgets and we do all sorts of things to try and, you know, move that along. But ultimately, it is God who is going to build his church. It's God's spirit that's going to move and move us to accomplish the things that he would have us do. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We actually went over this verse a little bit this week in youth. Um, And I wanted to add it in here because... I think some, oftentimes we don't realize that, that God, and it goes on, you need to read the rest of that little bit, because it talks about how God is a good father, and God is a father who wants to give you good gifts. So, you know, you as a parent, I'll just, I'll just read it, we're just going to read it, even though I don't have it on the slide. It says uh, in verse 9, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... If you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As we we walk along God as he builds his church, right, and we go through tough situations and we go through problems, it's important that we we ask him to do things. God wants to give us good gifts. If, if we feel like God is calling us to go and do outreach in the community, that's a thing that God wants to happen. God wants us to go therefore into all nations and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So why would we not ask him to do that? And why would he not allow us to do that? God wants us to reach out to the community. God wants us to be involved. God wants us to follow his word. And so we need to ask him for those good gifts and he is going to provide. This is all just a foundation I want to lay before we really get started this morning. Today we're going to look at three things to pray for as God builds his church, okay? But before we get into that, we need to know that God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to give good gifts. God has started a work and he's going to complete it through us. So let's get into it. The first thing that we're going to pray for this morning is boldness. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 4, just a warning this morning, I have so many sticky notes going on here, there's going to be a lot of flipping, so let me hear those pages turn, Um, 
It's going to be good. I'll try to give you more time. I realize that I probably won't give you enough time to turn. So, this morning we're going to uh, talk about boldness as the first thing that we need to pray for as God builds his church. A little background to what we're going to read before we get there. We're going to read Acts 4, 23 through 31. But what you need to know is that in Acts 3, Peter and John, they go to the temple in order to speak to the people. They, uh, this is the early, early church. This is very soon after the Holy Spirit uh, has come down. If, and Brother Daryl has talked about the tongues of fire. They come down and it comes on all the believers in the space. Um, and so they arrive at the temple. I'm just summarizing chapter three for you. They arrive in the temple when the daily sacrifices are being given. They know that there are gonna be many people here at the temple at this time of day because the Jewish have a tradition of twice a day. Uh, there is worship and prayer and sacrifices given in the temple to atone for the sins of the people. Um, And so they know, hey, there's going to be a crowd, so why don't we show up and see what God wants to do? So on the way in, a man stops uh, Peter and asks for some money, and Peter heals him of his ailment. Pretty cool. Again, you should just go back and read this when you get home today. It's really neat. But uh, Peter heals a man and then proceeds to address the crowd with the testimony of Jesus. So Peter uses an opportunity where he goes out into the community. He knows there's going to be a lot of people there. God does a miracle. And then he uses that opportunity and the tension he gets from that opportunity to speak boldly about who Jesus is. And so they're arrested by the priests and the Sadducees. Because they're speaking of the testimony of Jesus, whom the priests and Sadducees just recently had crucified. So the next day, they have to wait till the next day to question them, because I guess they were on, they were off after the sacrifices were given. I don't know why. But the next day, Peter and John are questioned about the healing and what power they did it through. After giving a testimony to the council, I'm just summarizing so you don't read 30 verses today. <laughs> After giving a testimony to the council, uh, they can't keep the men in prison because so many people saw the miracle, heard the testimony, and now they're praising God for the truth of Jesus and what happened. The council lets Peter and John off of the warning, tells them, hey, don't speak about Jesus anymore. And I love what Peter says. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, but we can't, cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Man, they should, <clears throat> they say basically we should be listening to God and not you. We're not worried about what you have to say. We have a higher authority. So the council, they threaten them a little further. And after being reprimanded and imprisoned for the testifying of Jesus, um, the first thing that these guys do is gather with fellow believers and pray. And that's where we're gonna pick up. Sorry, that was probably a little longer than it needed to be, but you know, I usually only speak for 15 minutes at a time, so I'm just kind of patting it a little bit. <laughs> uh, so, Acts chapter four, verse 23 is where we're gonna start. Here we go. This is what, after they've been imprisoned, told not to speak the word of Jesus anymore, discouraged by the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, instead of running or doing something like that, this is what they do. In verse 23 it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats their uh, threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. I think this is a wonderful example of how we should pray, but not only how we should pray, when we should pray, and what we should pray. These men are arrested and taken in for talking about Jesus, and their first thought isn't, we got to get out of this town, we got to flee, we got to be careful about what we say, maybe we should shut down all the public Jesus talk, and we'll go get people and like bring them into our homes and just kind of keep it private. No, they don't do that. They don't, they don't hide the gospel of Jesus. Instead, they gather together and they rejoice for the persecution that they've received. They pray to the Father and they, they recognize, they look back in Scripture, they look at the Psalms, a Psalm from David that promises that there will be persecution. They acknowledge what the Scripture says, that the kings of the earth, the rulers, they gather together against the Lord. I think it's pretty obvious in our day that the world is gathered against the Lord, that the world has gathered against what Jesus teaches, the peace and the love, loving your neighbor. The world is gathered against that today. But instead of being discouraged with this encounter, Peter and John pray for more boldness. Yes, the world is full of junk, and the world has, is working against God's mission. But what the Bible tells us is not to be discouraged by that. That is a promise that those things are Going to happen. It's promised multiple times to us in Scripture that there will be difficulty, but instead of running from that, we need to pray for more boldness. They acknowledge the rejection of God and the world and ask not that God would protect them, but that they could speak more boldly. They don't hide. They say, God, help us speak louder and louder about your word so that the world gets to hear it. What could this boldness look like if we lived it out today? Maybe you have a family member who doesn't believe in Jesus, and they always want to get in this argument about whether or not it was creation in seven days or it was some evolution over thousands of years. Maybe you always, so now you're always trying to avoid that family member. You don't want to even talk about Jesus around them because you're worried about some conversation. You're like, I don't know apologetics well enough to argue with that person. I just avoid that. Maybe there's someone at work who you know doesn't go to church, who you know doesn't live a life for Jesus. And so you, you're afraid to even approach the subject of God because that's, that's a little hairy, that's a little messy, it's too difficult. And I have to see them every day from nine to five. So I, I'm just going to avoid that topic entirely. Maybe, maybe that's what you're doing. Maybe instead, uh, maybe one of your kids or siblings is rejecting what you believe about God. Instead of avoiding these situations, 
We are called to be bold and we're called to pray for boldness and to face these situations head on. Instead of running from the world and the way they reject God, we need to run into the world and share more of God with them. And ultimately know, like Philippians 1.6 tells us, right, that God is going to complete a good work through us. It's not going to be on us. God is going to build his church, but we are called to go out and minister to the world so that God can do that. God could do it without us, but he's merciful and gracious and he does it with us. He does it through us. So instead of running from these situations, we need to face them on, head on with boldness. So as God builds his church through us, the first thing that I've noticed through all these different times they pray in Acts is they prayed for boldness. Boldness to go into communities, into our schools, into our workplaces, and to hold true to what we believe, and to be bold to tell others about Jesus. As I was preparing for the sermon, I made a whole document, and I went to the, the ESV Bible online, and I picked the book of Acts, and I searched every time they said pray or prayed or praying, every time the word prayer was used, um, and I wrote it like, it's like a three-page document, and I just copied and pasted all of them on there, and then I went through, and I was like, so why did they pray? When did they pray? How did they pray? What did they pray? And that's how I condensed these things down, and something that we'll see time and time again through the book of Acts is a prayer for boldness. <clears throat> the second thing that we're going to see prayer asked for in the book of Acts is for God to move, for miracles to happen. Um, in Acts, I'm just going to run through a couple stories quickly. In Acts chapter 9, it's verse 36 or 43, you don't have to turn there, it says that Peter, Peter's invited to Joppa after the death of this woman named Tabitha. So he enters the house, he gets there, he kneels down, and he prays, and then turns to her and tells her to rise, and she comes back to life. Peter recognizes that he can't on his own bring this woman back to life. He asks God, God, would you do this miracle? We don't actually hear his prayer, but we can assume that he's praying that God would do something, right? That God would move. And so he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, she rises and she comes back to life. Incredible. I'm going to leave the miracles up to Byron. He's talking about it next week. I'm just going to run through them a little bit to give us kind of a sense of the times that, we, that, that are, God has prayed to move and he does. Another instance of prayer and miracles, this combination, is in Acts 11 and 12. Peter and James are captured and they're put in prison. And the scripture says in Acts 12, 5, that Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So what happens later that night? Later that night, an angel comes in and he leads Peter out of prison. He touches the shackles on Peter and they fall off. And he's like, okay, come with me. He gives him a cloak and they walk out of prison. No one sees him. He just, he just walks straight out. That's a, it's a miracle if you ask me. And it's a miracle that's combined with this prayer. Then an angel that came and they lead him. You know. In tough situations, we see believers make requests to God. And he answers those requests. What we're going to hone in on, though, is Acts chapter 10. So let's turn there. And I love this story. Oh, man, after I read this story, uh, I was like, Lauren, we got a name. If we have a son someday, we got to name him Cornelius. It's an awesome name. And she looked at me, and she's like, that's a horrible name. We will not be doing that. Think of all the jokes. And I'm like, what do you mean? Corny? I, 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 whatever. So we're not naming our son Cornelius, if we have one, I guess. 
Still awesome name. I'll see if I can sneak it into the middle name or something. <laughs> Acts chapter 10. Um, oops, totally missed my turn. Verses one and two, it says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. I notice immediately one of the characteristics that makes, that that Cornelius is given here. It says, like we looked at in Acts chapter 2, 42, it says he was a devout man. And what, what is it about, what is it that makes him a devout man? It says he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously, so he was a giving man, and he prayed continually to God. A challenge to you, church, to be a devout follower of Christ. We have to pray continuously. So Cornelius, he isn't a Jew. He's not even a Jew. He's a Gentile, right? He doesn't even, uh, he's not of Jewish descent, but he is recognized that there is a God, and so he commits himself to the same Jewish practice of praying at a certain time of the day, the ninth hour of the day. A little fun fact, this ninth hour of the day when he prays is the same time that we talked about earlier when Peter and John went up to the temple, the ninth hour. So he's following the Jewish tradition of prayer. So even though Cornelius isn't Jewish by birth, he's taken this Jewish practice, he applied it to his own life because he's seen it change people's lives. So we can see a few times uh, in the book of Acts that God comes in visions. And God is active in times of prayer. And that's what happens here with Cornelius, as we just read. Uh, He's praying at his habitual time, at his continuous time that he gets down and he he prays to the Father. And in this time, an angel comes, a vision comes, uh, while he's active in this time of prayer. If we're going to allow God to build his church, we must pray and ask him to build it. And if the stories and acts tell us anything, it's that he's going to be faithful and do the rest. So Cornelius is praying. This angel of the Lord comes and he tells him to look for Peter. And so later, on the same day, Acts chapter nine, chapter 10, verse nine, just move down a little bit, it says the next day, as they were uh, on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Here we see another man who has taken a time out of his day. He's like, you know what, it's the sixth hour. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Prayer is a time for opening yourself up to God and enabling his leading in your life. That's not for me. I got it out of the commentary I used to help plan this sermon, but I thought it was awesome. Prayer is a time for opening yourself up to God and enabling his leading in your life. In their times of prayer, and speaking to the Father, in their habitual times where they they get on their knees and they say, Father, have your way, that's when God moves. 
If we're going to allow God to build our church, we need to pray and allow him to make the first move. These men, they waited on the Lord. They're being faithful, and then God follows through. So, Acts 10, 44 through 48, what happens when Peter arrives at the home of Cornelius and shares the good news about God with Cornelius and his entire household? Because these two men were faithful, this gets to be the first time that the Gentiles hear the good news, and we got to read it because it's awesome. Again, you should just read this whole story. The whole thing's awesome. 1044, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, he's been preaching to the, gen- to, to the household, it says that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, so the Jewish believers that came with, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some day. Because these two men were these two devout men were praying and opening themselves up to the Holy Spirit, God orchestrates the first missionary journey to a group of people other than the Jews. The first time that God goes to the Gentiles because two men were faithful to pray. God begins to build his global church because men were on their knees praying. Church, we have to get on our knees and pray. We have to stand and pray, however it is that you pray. We have to pray that God will move. We have to be consistent about it. Again, it's not that thing that we just do at mealtimes because God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen. All right, let's eat now. No, it needs to be something that we take time out of our day to commit ourselves to. God wants to perform great works and miracles in our lives, but if we never open ourselves up to hearing his voice, we will never know how to build his church. All those things are great. The budgets, the events, the the little productions we put on, all of it's great, but if it doesn't have Jesus in it, if it doesn't have prayer in it, it's a waste of time. We have to let God build his church, and prayer is a great place to start. God wants to build his church here in Huntington, but the only way he's going to do that is if we are listening to him and allowing him to move. So the last thing, the third thing that, I've, that I kind of found and brought together for what the themes of prayer are here in the book of Acts, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 6, 2 through 6, it says, I'm going to wait till I hear the pages quit flipping. <laughs> Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 6. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who, will appoint, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and a couple names I won't try to pronounce. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and lay their hands on them. We see this again in Acts 13, 2 through 3. The believers send out Paul and Barnabas, and they pray, and they lay their hands on them. 
In Acts 14.23, you don't have to turn to these places. 14.23, it says, And when they had appointed the elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We just did this recently in our own church. We gathered some men of, of good repute and men who were faithful, and we made them deacons, right? And when, when we made them deacons, we laid our hands on them and we prayed for them. We prayed for their ministry that God was going to do through them. Man, when there's a lot of work to be done, there is a lot of work to be done in God's church. In building the Lord's church, there's a lot of things that need to happen, and we need a lot of hands to do it. So we ask God to bring us leaders. And this third point is the commissioning of people to serve in the church. When we call someone to be a part of the work that we're doing here, it is important that we pray for them. And not just the one time, right? It's something that's continuous. They do it at the start here to set a precedent. You don't do something at the beginning because it's like, oh, it's just a one-off deal. No, we, we, we pray for our leaders and then we need to continue to pray for our leaders. I've had a tough week this week with my family being sick um, and preparing you know, two sermons at once and I could feel the prayers. I reached out to some friends and said, hey, could you just pray for me? It's been a tough week this week. I want God to speak. I don't want it to be me this morning. We need me, Byron, Brother Daryl, your deacons that serve, our wonderful women who serve in all of our children's ministries, and uh, Agency 56, and most excellent way. We need your prayers. We need them constantly. Because God, we want God to lead that ministry. We don't want it to be us. We want our hands off. We want to just be whatever God needs us to be for him. Praying for them is a reminder that the ministry we do is not ours alone, but it's God's. That's the real reason we pray, right? Because we recognize that the ministry we're doing isn't ours if we thought, oh, I can handle Next Generation Pastor all by myself, I can read the Bible and come up with some fun, catchy sermons and teach some kids about Jesus, well, I wouldn't pray. I don't need Jesus to do that. No, I need Jesus to do that. I need Jesus to lead as I speak to my students. I need Jesus to lead as I speak to you. And so prayer has to be a part of everything we do. The ministry is not ours, but it's God's. God will build his church and we have to choose leaders and pray for them as they do his work. I need a drink real quick. I did some research. And I know we have some people in construction here, so you can correct me if I'm wrong later. But I did some research on concrete making. Um, the process of, uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, it starts, you know, with this process of mining limestone and all these different minerals that go into, uh, the, mix, into the mixture of the cement. Um, it's, in, it's really intense. And there's, you know, these raw materials, then they go through this, like, refining process. Um, and then you got to pour, and then when it's time to come and pour a foundation, you add the right amount of water to get all the elements that are in this cement to bind together and then they form something a lot stronger than the raw materials. Because if you've ever seen like a bag of sacrete, for example, right? Like it's just kind of dusty and there's rocks and it's just, you know, stuff, right? But then you got to add the water to get all up in it and make it all harden and do what it's supposed to do to form something strong. 
The water is mixed up in all these ingredients. It permeates through to create what's supposed to be a permanent foundation. Um, I can tell you from buying a house that some of those foundations get cracks in them and they have to be repaired. But without the water, it's basically just sand, right? It's just basically some powdery stuff. Then I thought about all the things that go into building the foundation for a church. Like in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, worship, sharing meals, generosity, missions and outreach. All of these things are wonderful ingredients. They're vital to the foundation of our church. But without prayer and supplication to God, they can easily fall apart. They're just sand. They can easily just become about us. Prayer and supplication to God is the water that has to flow through everything we do as a church. If we're not praying for our youth ministry, if we're not asking God to be in it, we're wasting our time. If we're not praying for the Africa mission trip that Brother Daryl is on, if we're just going over there just to see some people, like, it's a waste of our time. If God and prayer is not all throughout it, we are wasting our time time. Christ will build his church, but we have to take time to pray and ask him to be a part of the good work that he started. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for prayer. I thank you that we get to come to you and speak to you one-on-one, God, that We don't have to go through some high priest. We don't have to make a sacrifice. God, I can get on my knees right now and I can talk to you because you will have a personal relationship with me. God, I pray that in everything we do as a church that we would be focused on praying through it. God, that we would ask you to be a part of every aspect. Father, we wouldn't neglect our supplication to you. Father, we love you. God, we ask that this week, before we even go out into our communities, God, that we would pray that you would prepare the way for us. God, help us to be a light in Huntington, Texas. God, shine through us so that the world sees you. We love you. In your name I pray, amen.